Thank you, Pastor Van. <clears throat> As we prepare for receiving God's word, we're going to have a skit, as he said, uh, from some of our young people. Uh, it's on prayer. It's really on prayer for all the stuff that we've been learning uh, this summer, and uh, it's well done, and I invite them to the platform at this time. Dear Jesus, I come before you on behalf of others who do not know you, but they need you. Lord, I lift up my friend Haley to you, like I've done so many times before. She says she believes in God, but I don't think she has a real relationship with you. She knows the right words to say. It's just so hard for a Catholic person. They don't know what they're missing. They don't know what to believe because they're not even encouraged to read the Bible. How can she ever be saved? I watch you every day. I know what a follower of Jesus looks like. But I'm no great example. Of course not. That's what makes you believable. I see when you fall, and I watch you scramble back to the one who you say redeems your soul. But it's not me who makes Jesus look great. I drag his name through the mud daily. It's him who makes himself wonderful, not me. He picks me up and draws me right back to himself. If you are so imperfect a representation as you say you are, how do you think your reflection of Jesus will save me? Lord, thank you for reminding me that my witness of you only works when you are glorified and not when I am. Lord, I also want to lift up my teacher, Miss June Thistle. Lord, there are some days when I don't think I can handle her degrading remarks about you anymore. She defies you, saying there is no God. She is so firm in her arrogance, and she will not listen to reason. How can she be saved if she won't even listen? Since the first day that you came into my class, I knew there was something different about you. And when you carefully started to question some of my answers, that is when I realized just how different you were. She always has a quick answer to everything I thought would be just so hard to answer. It was like someone was reading from a script. When you started praying for me, I became curious. Answers that once satisfied me didn't anymore. You challenged me to start looking for other well-educated solutions to my questions. I can't tell what's going on in her heart. I've heard you say that God works in ways unknown or unfamiliar to us. Why then do you think that God is only working on what you can see on the outside of a person? Lord, I don't know what you're doing inside Miss June's heart, but I pray that you would be consistent in pointing her to you. And Lord, I also bring before you my sister, Samantha. Lord, I don't know where she is. All I know is that she's running away from you. I know she's rejected you, and I know her heart is hard. I just don't know how you can reach her. How can she be saved? I know the lessons I learned about Jesus when I was younger. They haven't left my mind no matter how hard I try to abandon them. She's rejected everything God values and has cursed Jesus' name. I drown myself in drinks and drugs, but nothing satisfies me. How can she ever come to the Lord if there's no one to tell her? 
Just because you or our parents aren't here doesn't mean that God isn't working through someone else to bring me to salvation. It could even be through an unbeliever that I turn back to God. It just seems so hopeless. Well, yes, but is anything impossible for God? Lord, nothing is too hard for you. Jesus, forgive my forgetfulness of who you are. Lord, there is that criminal, Max Walter, that I saw in the news a few months ago. I know he's in prison, reaping the penalty of his horrible acts, but I pray that he would meet you before it's too late and that he would repent of his sins, if he even knows what they are. Everyone knows that they sin, no matter how much they try to deny it or cover up that they're anything less than perfect. He's just done so much wrong. Doesn't the Bible say that where sin increases, Grace abounds all the more? He must have a very hard heart. You think that God quakes when he comes in contact with a heart hardened through the deceitfulness of sin? Then no one would be saved. It just seems impossible that this man could ever become saved. Does God save only the pure, the righteous, and the godly? No, there are no such people. God saves the sinner who has humbled himself before the Lord. Lord... There is no one besides you who can bring life to this man's heart. And so I pray that you would. And Lord, lastly, I lift up the terrorists who are ravaging the lives of the Christians in the Middle East. This is the hardest prayer I pray, for I know that they are doing unspeakable evil to your children. And yet you say to pray for those who persecute us. It just seems so useless. Wasn't the Apostle Paul a terrorist of the early church? Look what happened when God got a hold of him. How can their hearts be reached when they silence the very voice of truth? You have no idea the impact that Christian prisoners have on their captors, nor the amazing impact of prayer in the lives of both the Christian and the terrorist. The unbelievers are constantly told lies. How can they ever be freed from believing them? And what makes you think that God doesn't work in other ways to get into the hearts and minds of people? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon? He was warned in a dream, a message from God in the dead of night. It just seems as if there is no hope for them. As if they are too far gone. Too far gone? Is anyone too far gone to be saved from their sins? What gives you the right to determine who God gets to save? God gave you the command to live for him. He commanded you to pray. As a Christian, you have the opportunity and the responsibility to pray for those of us who are far from God. It's easy to become overwhelmed by the mere size of the world and this desperate need for Jesus. But don't forget, you cannot make anyone be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ that this can be accomplished. So stop relying on yourself to save us. Stop thinking that prayer is pointless. It's the most powerful tool you have. No one is too far gone, too far from God's grace. Will you really stop praying for us because you don't think that we can be saved? It isn't up to you. That's why you pray. Lord, let me trust in you for the final decision regarding men's souls. And let me never consider you as incapable or uninterested or inactive. Thank you for reminding me that you know all, you see all, and you love all. I am in awe of your ways, 
and thankful that your patience far exceeds mine. And so I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much, young people, for that. I was told that first service when they were getting ready for the skit and young Martineau, he was the one that's the persecutor in the black outfit. He gets dressed in the bathroom to come out and we didn't tell our security team. <laughs> so he kind of got accosted out there, had to show his face. So I think we scared him a little. I bet you didn't know we had a security team, did you? Well, we're going to continue, of course, in prayer. Uh, and Jesus, we're looking at the life of Jesus. And he not only taught us how to pray, but lived a life of prayer during his earthly ministry. And while there are many, many patterns that we could look at of, of prayer um, in the life of Jesus, we're going to, this morning, just take a note of four, four examples of Jesus' prayer life. And we're going to have you turn to Mark chapter 1 uh, for our, the start this morning. And as you're turning there, and I was thinking of, of how to introduce and relate, um, the Lord just kept putting this story in my mind of, well, it was December. A number of years ago, as Pastor Van mentioned, we were together back at Independent Bible Church. I was in Martinsburg with my wife Ann at the time, and uh, mid-December, nothing uniquely special about the day and that it was like mid-40s, overcast, typical December weather, but it wasn't an ordinary day. You see, my wife was about to give birth to our very first son. And, you know, you think you're all prepared, at least me, I'm, I think I'm always prepared, and, and she says it's time, and I couldn't remember anything. And, you know, then I realized, oh, if she's got to be in the car with me, that would work better to go to the hospital. So, so we get to the hospital, you know, everything's progressing, and they got her all hooked up to these monitors, and, and then I whipped out, some of you young people won't know what this is, my brand new camcorder. And they have this monitor, and it, like, shows the baby's heartbeat, and it shows her heartbeat, and then there's this little line that that reads out and as she has a contraction it like peaks up and then it goes down and i was mesmerized by this and i'm like filming it and said honey you're having a big contraction right now <laughs> she looks at me put that camera away i don't need you to be telling me i got a contraction besides you did this to me <laughs> well there was a little bit of minor complications and they were they needed to help get the baby out so i don't know if they still do this but the, they did for for our firstborn son evan they put a i call it a suction cup on his head and help pull him out well when you do that to a newborn it makes their head different <laughs> and he was born and he had this funky looking head and he was pink. I didn't know he was going to be pink. I got a pink boy with little white spots 
but he was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life because he was my boy. And they cleaned him up and put him in my arms, and it hit me. I'm a dad. Like, I knew I was going to be a dad, but now I actually am a dad. What do I do? I don't have a clue. Here, honey. (laughs) So I started thinking about my dad, and what were the things my dad did that I appreciated and were of value, and what are the things that he did that I don't want to do? And, you know, I had those thoughts because he was my example. Well, we give our lives to Christ, and we accept Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and we become Christians. And it's kind of like, now what? How do I pray? What am I supposed to do? How do I do this prayer thing and, and do it right? Well, Jesus gives us lots of examples of his life. So read with me and follow along as I read. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29, and I'll just go to 37. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Well, that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. We're going to stop there. You see, Jesus made it a priority to pray. It was a priority to pray to him. It was an integral part of his life. We see this here in, we see it in his whole life. If you go back to the beginning of his public ministry when he was baptized in Luke, Luke's the only of the gospel accounts that records this, that when he was baptized, he prayed. So he was praying, and that's Luke 3.21. And then later in Luke 23.46, at the very end of his ministry, When he's on the cross and he looks up and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. From the beginning of his public ministry all the way through to the very end, it was covered with prayer. And he teaches us about that. But what I wanted to pull from this passage is to take a note of the disciples here. You see, the disciples did not understand early on the importance of prayer. What do we see happen Jesus had an incredibly long day. He taught in the synagogue. He even healed people in the synagogue. He immediately leaves the synagogue, and he goes to Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. So they bring her. He heals her. And then she waits on him, so I'm sure they ate. And then sun goes down, time to rest, get ready for a new day. No. The whole town, the whole city comes out to the door 
to hear more teaching, to have him heal. And he does, and he heals many, drives out demons, exhausted. So what's he do? Early in the morning, he gets up to go pray. The disciples realize he's missing. Simon goes looking for him with some of the others, and they find him. So what do they do? Don't you know people are looking for you? What are you doing? You should be teaching and and healing. They didn't recognize the value at this point of his prayer, of spending time in prayer. Now, we are going to see that that changes for the disciples. They learn and they grow as we need to learn and grow in this area of prayer to become more than just something we know and to be something that we do. So I want to take note that the disciples didn't understand early on. But the second point to take note of is that Jesus prayed in private. Jesus prayed in private. Many times he would get and go off by himself. He would find that quiet place to go. In Matthew 14, 23, it says that he went up on the mountain by himself. And then in Matthew and this is 26:38 your notes are wrong verse 26 verse 38 he goes with the disciples and it says he goes a little further he kind of separates himself and he falls on his face and he prays and in Luke 5:16 but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray constantly throughout scripture we can see where he gets by himself to have time with God to just pray between him and the Lord, being alone. And he also prayed before he made any major decisions, or before publicly he did. We know that when he was calling the the 12 apostles from the disciples, he prayed all night, Luke 6, 12. He prayed all night, and then in the morning, he calls all the disciples together and tells which are the 12 that will be the apostles as there were many people that followed him. And it also begins with, in those days, meaning this is just normal practice. This is in those days, it's what he did. It was a normal pattern of Jesus' life to be going off and praying. It was an example for us, showing us the importance of prayer. But you see, Jesus was connected with God, right? I mean, the question is, Was Jesus fully God? Well, if Jesus was fully God, why did he need to pray to God? Is he praying to himself? It's kind of like, figure that out. Well, Jesus was also fully man. And he experienced all the the temptations and trials and things that we've, and he needed that power in prayer as much as we do. But he also just did it as a way of teaching us and showing us about the importance of prayer. But realize this. Before Christ ever came to the earth, he was with God. He had a relationship with God. Coming on the earth was just an extension more of his relationship. It didn't stop, and he's with God again. Prayer, what is it? It is how we communicate. It is the relationship aspect that we have 
with God. And this was Jesus' relationship with God. Matter of fact, to me, the, the saddest scripture to read and to, to think about is when Christ is on a cross and he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? See, he had never been separated from God before that moment. He was always with God, but because of sin and taking on the sin of the world for that moment, he was separated from God. Relationship connects us through prayer with God. Our relationship with God is connected through prayer. And Jesus was showing us the importance of prayer as he would go off and he would pray, and he would pray before major decisions that he prayed before the disciples. He also prayed alone even though he was with others. He prayed alone even though he was with others. That's kind of an interesting thing to do is to be around others and pray. But we do read where he was, it says he was praying alone with the disciples. He was praying alone with the disciples. So they were in a group, but he was, he was praying. And he was going on the way that God has been teaching him to do. And then number three, he prayed in public. As we need to keep moving for time's sake here. He prayed in public. Um, we can look at verses like uh, Matthew 11, uh, 25. Matthew eleven twenty five, where he's saying in a public, he's standing in the public and saying about uh, thanking the Lord and praying to the Lord. And then in John eleven forty one, this is the verse right after he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he says, thank you, Father, for hearing my prayers, praying out. And then uh, John 17, 1, he says, uh, Father, the hour has come. And that was also in a public setting. Uh, so there's certainly many examples where he had prayed, not only in private, but also in public. But what I want us to look at quickly is Luke 11, 1. In Luke 11, chapter 1, we're going to see the change in the disciples. And I hope you catch this. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So think about what's different here. The first thing is they didn't interrupt him from praying. They waited till he was finished. That shows a, an importance of value. So why they were there... Jesus was praying, and when he was finished, then they asked. And they wanted that same type of a prayer life in them and understanding how to do it. And they asked, teach us. Teach us how to pray so that we can do it right. I think a lot of us have a fear sometimes of praying, like we're not going to do it right, like well, we certainly don't want to come up here to this podium and pray in public in front of people because I might say the wrong thing or not say it quite right or I don't know. And then we don't pray in private and we, we kind of go a long time before we pray. And Well, but I pray, uh, you know, bless my food. Thank you, Father. Amen. But we don't practice prayer. But we know. We would all say it's important. Prayer is important. Oh, it's a Christian life. Prayer is vital. So we know it. But we don't do it like we should. So how do we move something from knowing it to having a heart passion 
for doing it. Well, Jesus' prayers, number four, were not passive. He taught us how to pray. But more than just teaching us, he showed us. You see, Renee Brown had a famous quote. Uh, She's a psychologist that said, we move what we're learning from our head to our hearts through our hands. It means we need to do. We need to practice. Prayer also is something we need to practice. Takes practice in order to understand prayer. Some people say, well, he prayed all night. How could I ever pray all night? I can't even pray for three minutes. And then I'm like nodding off. The more you pray, the more you get a passion for it, and the more you learn. And there's many things we can pray for. But without practice, we don't get good at something. When I was a kid, I took guitar lessons. I'll take that. This is Pastor Mark's guitar, not mine. Okay, it's tuned. That's like all I remember. (laughs) I think you know what it was, but yeah, it wasn't very good. Why? Because I like haven't played in forever. Every once in a while I'll see guitar and I'll do something like that. And I'm going to stop now so I don't embarrass myself any further. Or put you through anymore. But what's the, if I would practice the guitar, I'd get a lot better at the guitar. I don't have to be a master at it. But it would certainly sound better and I would be more confident. And it would be more enjoyable to listen to. That's how our prayer life is. The more we practice it. The more we do it, the smoother it is. The better we get at it. The more we're in the right relationship with God and God changes us and molds us. We need to move what we know about prayer to it being a passion of our hearts through our hands. And that's how we do it. And that's what happens. And we have lots of examples of Christ's uh, passionate and and prayers that he that he gave he prayed he prayed before he ate um, we know when he fed the five thousand um, he broke the bread and 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 the, and passed out the bread and the fish he prayed before he did that we know at the last supper when he was passing out the elements he prayed after he broke the bread we know that he prayed for his friends this is a passage I really like. It's Luke twenty two twenty two, And this is where Jesus is telling the disciples they're going to all flee. They're all going to run because of what's about to happen. And Peter kind of puffs himself up and thinking, I'm not going to do that. I'm Lord. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan wanted you. He wants to sift you like the wheat. But I prayed for you. And I prayed that your faith would be strong and that when you come back, you will strengthen the others. What a prayer. Peter didn't know at that point, didn't understand he was going to betray the Lord. The Lord did. But he prayed for him and told him when he comes back, 
and his faith will be strong that he'll strengthen others. Jesus prayed for his friends. Jesus also prayed for his enemies when he was on the cross. And they had him nailed up there, and they're spitting at him, and they're mocking him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He also prayed for himself. In John 17, chapter 1, we know that he says, glorify me that I might glorify you. And one of the more famous passages, Matthew 26, 36, where he says, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's okay to pray for yourself. We need to pray for our friends. We should be praying before our meals, thanking the Lord for what he's provided. We should be praying for our enemies. These are all true. These are examples that he's given us. And he even prayed for you. In John 17, verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me. Somebody that came later that believed because of the word. Jesus prayed for me, and he prayed for you. I I think that's pretty cool, an example of who Christ prayed for. You know, we had a bunch of young people up here representing different people that were being prayed for and thinking, how can they ever come to Christ? We don't know what God is doing. We are called to pray, and we need to be faithful in that prayer, even when we feel like our prayers aren't resulting in anything. We need to be faithful to God because of our heart passion for him to put in practice the things that we know about prayer that he has taught us to be true. And if it was so important to him, it should be that important to us as well. Because we need to move what we know in our heads to be the passion of our hearts through our hands. So let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for his death, burial, resurrection, for our sins to be forgiven. But more than that, for being our high priest, that our prayers are heard, for teaching us how to pray, for showing us how to pray, for demonstrating the value and the importance of prayer. Every bit as valuable as his teaching, as his healing, and the miracles that he did prayer and the power that prayer has father help us as we know this to be true to do more than know but to put it into practice it's in jesus name i pray amen verse 29 um i'm reminded of a story it's not a story it's an event uh it was mid-december Many years ago, uh, my wife and I, Ann, were living in Martinsburg, and it, it wasn't anything special really about the day. The, the weather was like in the mid-40s, and kind of overcla- overcast, as typical December days would be, but this was not an ordinary December day. You see, my wife was about to give birth to our first son, and, you know, and that was 28 years ago. And he's about to be 28 in December. That's one of the reasons I thought of it. But 
you know, you think you're prepared, at least, you know, me, as Pastor Van calls me, Steady Eddie, I'm, I got this, until she says she's time to go, and then I couldn't remember anything. You know, I mean, it was a good thing she was calm because I'd get in the car and I would have forgot to put her in the car to get there too. But we get to the hospital and, and you know, they hook up all these gadgets and gadgets and, and it was pretty cool to me. I didn't feel any pain. And there was this monitor and it showed the baby's heartbeat and it showed her heartbeat and then it showed the contractions and as they would come, it would spike up. And then, you know, little ones and big ones and... So I did something you kids probably won't know what it is, but I pulled out the camcorder. And I had my camcorder to record this, and I'm recording this, and, and here it goes. It spikes up. And I said, honey, you're having a big contraction. <laughs> Put that camera down. What's the matter with you? I, you know, I don't need you to tell me I'm having a contraction. And uh, by the way, I did that to her. <laughs> It was great, but I didn't know. I mean, I didn't handle babies. I didn't really know what to expect. I, I knew I was going to be a dad, but I didn't understand everything that goes with that. And, and as there was a little complication, and um, he wasn't coming out, so, so they did something. I don't know if they still do today, but they put, I call it a suction cup, <laughs> on his head and help pull him out. Well, when you put a suction cup on a baby's head, it deforms their head. You know, it comes out kind of weird. Listen, don't worry, it'll all get normal. And, and then he was born, and, and my boy, he was pink. I got a pink boy with little white spots, with a deformed head. He was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, because he was my baby. And, and today, he's grown up into a handsome young man, because he looks like the most like me, like any of my kids. But when they put him in my arms, and I stood there, and I thought, I'm a dad. Like, I knew I was going to be a dad, but now I was a dad. What do I do? Honey, here. <laughs> so I thought, how do I be a dad? So I thought about my dad and the things that I liked and appreciated that my dad did. And I thought about the things my dad did that I didn't appreciate. said, I'm never going to do those things. The example that we draw on in our lives. Well, we give our lives to Christ. We accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and understand that he's God's one and only son. And we become a Christian. And now we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to pray. But how do we pray? What do we do? I don't want to do it wrong. Well, Christ teaches us that too. Christ is our example of how to pray and what to do. Well, we're going to read Luke. I'm sorry. We're going to read Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 37. So please follow along with me as we read. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. We're going to pause in the reading right there. This is a long day. Right before we pick up in 29, he was teaching in the synagogue and healing people there. And then it says he immediately goes to Simon's house. And upon entering there, finds out that his mother-in-law is sick. And they bring that attention to him. And he goes and he heals her. And then she serves him. And I'm sure they had dinner. And, and then evening comes. And, of course, they retire and get ready for the next day. But no. The whole city comes to the door wanting to hear more of his teaching, wanting to be healed, wanting Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He heals, and he teaches, and he casts out demons. And imagine how long that took. An exhausting day. And then what do we find out? He rose early in the morning to find a desolate place to just pray. Number one, Jesus made it a priority to pray. He made it a priority to pray that it was, for him, prayer was an integral part of the life of Jesus. We see this in Jesus' ministry from his public ministry when he first came to be baptized in Luke 3.21. It's the only of the Gospels that share this part that when he was baptized, he prayed when he was baptized the beginning of his ministry and, and then all throughout his ministry and then even at the end in Luke 23, 46 when he's hanging on the cross his last words are prayer Lord, unto your hands I commit my spirit Jesus' life was consistently covered in prayer but what I want to pull here from Mark 1 is this idea of the disciples as the disciples approached here, they did not, at this point, early on, understand or appreciate the importance of prayer. Well, what do we see? That we know that they were with him, and, and then they brought the people in that night, and then early in the morning, Jesus gets up and goes to pray and find a desolate place. Well, Simon and the other disciples, they see he's not here, so they go searching for him, and they find him, and they interrupt him spraying and say, don't you know that everyone's looking for you? The people want to hear you preach. The people want to have you heal them. The important things of your ministry. What are you you're praying? They don't say those things, but it's, you kind of get how they interrupt him and ask him, what's he doing? Because they didn't evaluate or they didn't appreciate the importance of prayer at that point. But we will learn and see later in the sermon that they do learn to appreciate prayer and value it highly. And that's a lesson for us to learn and appreciate the value of prayer and to incorporate it into our lives. 
So Jesus made a priority of prayer. And if prayer was <clears throat> such an integral part of Jesus' life, then it should also be a very important part of our life, by example. Well, number two, the, the second example to note is Jesus prayed a lot in private. He prayed a lot in private. Many times he would just go and find a quiet place, it says. We can find lots of examples in Scripture of him going and, and praying in private. Matthew 14, 23, he went up on the mountain to pray, which was his custom to do. It was a common thing for him to do. Um, and in Matthew 26, 38, there's a correction to your notes there, by the way. In Matthew 26, 38, he was going with the disciples, and it said, and going a little further, he fell down on his face and prayed. He separated himself from the disciples from a little distance. And then Luke 5, 16 it says, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. We have lots of examples in, Christ, in, in Christ's life of where he would separate himself to pray, to pray in private, to commune with the Lord. Well, wasn't Jesus God in flesh, fully God? So then why did he need to pray? Was he praying to himself? I mean, the Father and Him are one. So why did Jesus pray? Well, of course, we know that He was fully God, but we also know He was fully man. And in His humanity, He needed that connectivity. He needed to pray. He needed to be connected to the Father that way. But also, Jesus was doing it as an example for us, in some cases, of prayers. But remember this about Jesus. He was before he was a man. He existed eternally with God, connected with God. And they would always communicate and talk to one another. So why is it any surprise that when he becomes a man and he walks on this earth, he doesn't continue in his relationship with God the Father? He's always been in relationship with him. And that's what prayer does for us. It's our relationship that we have with God, and it tunes us into the Holy Spirit. And there's no reason that we would be surprised by Jesus' prayer, although it is an example to us. You see, I think the saddest thing in Scripture to read is when Christ is on the cross, and he, he yells out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus had never known separation from God until the weight of sin of the world for a moment caused the father to turn his eyes away and he had that separation prayer connects us to god it is the way that we talk to god it is the way that god even talks to us he uses his word as well it's an important integral part and there's power in prayer that we don't even understand and how god uses power of prayer in the christian's life so he prayed in private it was an integral part of his prayer. But he also prayed before major decisions. We know that he prayed in Luke 6, 12. It says that he prayed all night long. All night long. And then in the morning, he called all the disciples, all the people that were following him together, 
and he called out the 12 apostles. The 12 disciples, as we call them. The 12. The inner 12. Well, that was a pretty important decision, and he had that bathed in prayer before he had that public decision announced. And then it says at the beginning of that, which I like, is in those days. And again, in those days, that's a reference to how consistent his prayer life was. In those days, it was, this is the common place. This is what Christ would do. He would go to the mountain. He would go somewhere and pray. In those days, he would go pray. Can that be said about us in your prayer life? It's a common thing for you to pray. It's a common thing for you to be talking to the Lord wherever that might be. Well, he, uh, he also prayed alone with others. It's kind of an interesting thing to say that he was alone with others. It does say that, in, that Jesus was praying alone with the disciples. I think that's an interesting way to state it, that he was praying alone with the disciples. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, it's, you can pray at any time, anywhere, wherever you are. We know that prayer is something that God uses in our lives, and we can close our eyes and have conversation with God at any point. Praying alone when others are around is also something that you can do. So just being alone with God is something that he teaches us. Number three, Jesus prayed in public. So not only did he pray privately, but he prayed publicly as well. And there's many examples in scriptures of when he pray, prayed publicly, Matthew eleven twenty five, and he calls out to the Father in front of the group praying for himself uh, to honor God. Uh, in John eleven forty one, and John eleven forty one is right after he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he lifts up his arms, arms to heaven and says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Thanking God for even hearing him. In John 17, 1, he prays out, Father, the hour has come. And those around him all heard what he was saying. It was a public thing. So he would pray publicly. And we have many examples of this. But I want to look at Luke 11, 1, quickly, as we see the change in the disciples and how we can tell that disciples were learning more and more about prayer. This is right when he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, Luke's account of this 11 1 it says now jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as john taught his disciples so what do we see different here about the disciples first it says he was praying well that's not different it says when he had finished they waited for him to be done praying they weren't interrupting him as they did before, not realizing the importance of prayer. You can see and sense in this the value that they had on prayer because he's praying, we just got to wait. And when he's done praying, then they say, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? We want to learn better how to pray. We want to do this, we want to do this right. I think we as Christians are that way a lot. How do we pray right? I don't want to have to pray up here at the podium because I might say something stupid and I don't want to embarrass myself and pray and I'm embarrassed to pray and people see me praying and I don't know what to say when I pray and, and if I'm doing it right so then we don't do it and then we get lazy about it and we know we should pray but we end up not praying I don't think this is new information right we know as Christians that we're to pray. 
we know as Christians there's power in prayer. We know that God's word teaches us to pray. But I'd also dare to say, if most of us are honest, we don't pray very much or as much as we ought to. Why is that? Why is it when we know what we should do, but we don't do what we know? We have to have a heart passion for it. It has to come from a desire. Leads me into the fourth point, and that is Jesus' prayers were not passive. Jesus' prayers were not passive. He, he taught us how to pray, but he also showed us how to pray. You know, he taught us the, the Lord's Prayer, and we have that, and we understand the Lord's Prayer, and how we're to thank God. And, you know, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, there's only one point there that is actually asking for something for us, and most of the things are, are not, and they're more spiritual. Uh, Pastor Van a few weeks ago talked about prayer and, and the uh, method of using the ACTS acronym when you pray to think about the ACTS, the adoration, the confession, the thanksgiving, and then the supplication, the methods of praying. So we get this knowledge, but we don't always use this knowledge. There's a story I read about a lady who collected recipe books. She loved these books, all these different ways of cooking and doing things. And she had shelves full of these books. And, and the pastor went over and visited her at her house and went in. And her and her husband was there, and they were having a nice visit. And he saw all these recipe books. And he turned to John, her husband, and said, Man, John, your wife must be a great cook. And he just kind of smiled and giggled and says, uh, Yeah, we eat out most of the time. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm surprised. I just saw all these recipe books I thought she would cook she says yeah no she doesn't cook she just likes the books knowledge without putting it into practice isn't going to produce what we want Renee Brown had a quote and she's a psychologist that we move what we're learning from our heads to our hearts, through our hands. And she meant doing things. Well, I want to say we learn what we know to our heart through our hands. It's through prayer. And you're only going to do that by doing it, by practice, by learning to pray. How did Jesus pray all night? When you say, well, I couldn't pray all night. I'd, I'd fall asleep too quickly. I can't even pray five minutes without dozing off. Well, the more you pray, the more you get into that, the better you will be at it. The easier it will come. The more your heart will get excited about it. Practice. When I was a kid, I took guitar lessons. This is Pastor Mark's guitar. I have a guitar. I don't know where it is. Sorry. Uh-oh. I'm going to be in trouble now. But I thought I would play for you what I remember. And I expect it'll be great. <laughs> Sounds like it's in tune.
No, that was terrible. Don't plod that. The point there is what? I got some of it. I missed some of it. If I would have stayed with it, if I would have practiced, it would have sounded a whole lot better. And it would have been more enjoyable for you and not as embarrassing for me. But practice makes a difference. Doing makes the difference. Your prayer life needs you to be doing it to make a difference. If you're not, and it's just set aside, you're not going to be where you need to be with Christ. You're not going to be where you need to be in your relationship with God. You're not going to have the fruits in your life that should be there. But if you do it, it's amazing what God will do. Jesus showed us many ways of praying. He prayed before eating. We know when he broke the bread for the 5,000, he prayed and then passed out the bread and the fish. And that's uh, Matthew 14, 19. Matthew 26, 26 is probably one of the most famous ones of the, the Lord's Supper. And he broke the bread at the supper, prayed, and then passed it out. So there is that, and there's other places in Scripture to teach us about praying before eating. He also prayed for his friends. Luke 22, 32 uh, is one of my favorite uh, passages to read. Luke 22, 32, where Jesus has just kind of told the disciples about what's happening to... They're all going to scatter. They're all going to be gone. They're all going to leave him. But Peter, you know, he's like... Kind of puffs his chest up. Not me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I love you. I'm gonna stay. And, and Jesus, knowing where he's at, and before he says things, says, "Simon, Simon. Satan wants you. He wants to sort you like he does the grain. But I prayed for you. I pray that your faith would be strong." And when you come back, that you will strengthen the brothers. See, Jesus knew he was going to turn. But what a prayer that he has, that Jesus praying for him and and loving him. He prayed for his friends. He also prayed for his enemies. You know, he's on the cross and they're spitting at him and tormenting him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do prayed for his enemies he also prayed for himself we have passages in john that teaches that he would pray lord glorify me so that you can be glorified he prayed for himself of course for this cup to pass from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done so it's okay that we pray for ourselves god jesus prayed for himself we can pray for ourselves that's a good thing we can pray for our enemies we can pray for our friends we should pray when we sit down to a meal we should give thanks to god we should be in prayer in many ways and he not only prayed before eating he prayed for his friends he prayed for his enemies he prayed for himself and he prayed for you in john 17 20 he says i do not ask for these only but also for those who will Believe in me through their word. Not those that are believers yet, but one day will become believers because of the word. Well, that's me. I hope that's you. I hope that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that you're a believer. 
and we can be working on our prayer lives together. Jesus modeled for us the practice of prayer. And if it was so important to him, it should be so important to us. See, we need to move what we know about prayer from our heads to be the passion of our hearts through our hands. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thankful for the life of Christ. Certainly thankful for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ in which our sins can be forgiven. Without it, no sin is forgiven. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. But he's also our high priest interceding before us, making our prayers before the throne known to you. Father, what a great privilege was given to us. What a great model we have, an example in Christ of how to pray, when to pray, where to pray, what to do. It's all about a relationship with you. Father, may we grow in our relationship with you, that we would put into practice prayer. We would move it from something that we know we ought to do to what we do. Help us. We need your help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My challenge to you this week is find your desolate place and spend time in prayer. You are dismissed.